Hello and welcome to episode 41 of the Asian Cinema Film Club. I'm your host as always, Elwood Jones, and joining me, of course, is the Professor, Mr. Stephen Palmer. Hello, hello, hello. And wishing you all, first of all, a very happy new year. Here we are in the first show of 2020, and uh, we're back at it, a brand new season, a brand new set of movies, and a brand new set of ambitions ahead of us of what we're planning to cover in the episodes which lie ahead. Uh, but kicking in things off tonight, we have the Korean adaptation of the manga um, Antique, um, released over here as Antique Bakery by Terracotta. And uh, before we obviously get into that, we've got, uh, of course, I've got to ask what you've been watching. And Stephen, I mean, what has been holding your interest over the festive break? Well, obviously, it's a lot. Of, you get a lot of time, free time over Christmas to to, to eat lots of food and watch lots of movies. And um, unusually for me, I managed to pick up a couple of things. Um, so normally I say, oh, I haven't watched anything, but this time I can actually say I've watched something. Um, so one of the things, one of my sort of New Year's resolutions is to, um, I've done two things. I'm going vegetarian for January, but that ain't going to stick, so it'll be bacon February by the time we have the next episode. <laughs> um, the other thing was, I've got lots of games consoles, modern games consoles, and I barely ever play games. Um, so I decided that I was going to play all the Yakuza games um, this year. Um, but what I hadn't realised was that our old friend Takashi Miike had done a live-action remake of the very first Yakuza game from Sega. Oh, really? Um, I had no idea. It's called Like a Dragon. Um, so after finishing, um, well, the, the remake on the, on the PS4, Yakuza Kiwami, I thought, oh, I'll, I'll have a watch of Like a Dragon. Um, because one of the things I often stand up for with Mr. Miike is that he does a fantastic video game Um adaptation which is i know a strange thing to come out of anyone's mouth but i'll, I'll defend his um his version of the uh, ds series of games ace attorney to my grave so i was yeah, I, I was actually i was actually feeling yeah, this, this this could be a good thing because the the, the accuser games are quite cinematic anyway they're basically a load of cutscenes with with brawling five minutes and a few fetch quests in them they're not very difficult in, in that regard um so i thought that this would be absolutely fine um and it's and it's Mike. Um However, <laughs> um, he decides to authentically adapt it, sort of in a very tangential way, and adds a couple of other storylines in with characters you really don't give a monkey's about, and it and, and the bits of the story of the film which he does take, he he addresses so obliquely that it doesn't make any sense. And when it comes to the conclusion, there's no way you could have any idea what was going on. It's it's frankly nonsensical. On the other hand, um, there are parts of it which are fantastic. Um, so the 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 way it um it uses Tokyo's um Capuchicho district which is very much in the games it, it, it takes scenes it takes places which are in the games which are in real life into the film so there's moments in the film you feel like you're playing the game um in terms of the costuming it's top notch not entirely sure that the um that kazuki kitamura quite pulls off um 
the the, the lead character quite so well. It looks it looks a little young for me, and it, it doesn't have that kind of violent brawdery feel. But you know, it's it's a Miko film I hadn't seen. Obviously, only probably about another seventy-five to go, um, and it was it was a nice little um, it was a nice little exploration, just where sort of two parts of my life had combined um, to do that. Anyway, over the next year, I'll have nothing else to talk about but Yakuza games because I'm only halfway through the second one, and you know it's, it's it's we're well into January. But hey ho, the other thing I picked up is something I'm in the middle of watching, and I can't help thinking you might have mentioned about a year ago, but I'm I'm bit behind is the um south korean tv show which is on netflix called kingdom um yes um i've yeah i'm trying to remember because there's a few on on there but i think that's the zombie it is yeah yeah um so i mean i think it came out literally this time last year it's taken me this long to get round to it um it's basically as far as I can tell, I'm only about halfway through the series, and I've got a feeling there's there's more to come. But it's it's a zombie, it's a zombie film, um, probably riding on the coattails of Train to Busan and a couple of other things that came out of South Korea in the last couple of years. But its unique selling point is that it's based in the sort of the Joseon period of um, of Korean history. So it's basically a period drama with modern take on zombies on it although there is some extra stuff there's some there's, some, there's a couple of extra little twists to 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 how the zombies act i basically they only work at night and in the daytime they um they hibernate basically um but it's really good oh, what i've seen so far is really good it's also got a couple of um quite big stars really um it's got um Beidunar, who's in a ton of really good films, but also is famous for being in the other Netflix show, Sense8, and she was in Cloud Atlas as well, wasn't she? So she's um, certainly made a made a made sort of a, a switch over to the West, and it's also got an actor called Ru Seong Ryung, who is he's one of those guys that's in a million. Um, Korean films that you you probably don't recognise him, but you will recognise his face when um, when he goes, ah, oh, he's that guy. But anyway, I'm finding it really interesting. It's got a few scares in it, which which some Netflix shows do have and some don't. But I'm loving the sort of the period nature of it, um, and just the just the interesting little take. And as with all good zombie films, it's not really or zombie shows. It's not about zombies at all. It's actually about social inequality between the haves and the haves-nots which in sort of confucian era uh korea was um is a is is, is a very um apt thing to pick on how about yourself um well as we were discussing before we came on tonight it's just been a lot of western cinema for myself because i've been playing catch up on everything that i missed in the previous year so uh, obviously at the moment i'm still waiting for parasite to filter across because uh, it's one of those films that everyone's sort of raving and talking about and I just have not been able to see it yet um, but I think it's a film definitely generating a lot of buzz at the moment a lot of people including Esquire um, are calling for it to have the win the award for best picture and that you know they shouldn't be remade 
for have like an American remake, which is something that we heard earlier in this week was sort of in the very early stages of happening. Uh, so we've been posting the bits and pieces as they've come through over on the Facebook page, and it's been really good. I mean, it's been interesting seeing the response it's all been getting, and certainly from what we gather, uh, going off the response to everyone on Facebook, it's people are very excited about Parasite and less excited, notably, about uh, anyone trying to remake it, although it should be noted that uh, the director is obviously working at the moment on a series with HBO, um, which is going to be one of the short film miniseries, much like we saw with Watchmen earlier this year. So it's going to be interesting to see how they adapt the material to uh, HBO miniseries. And certainly I think if you're going to do this sort of project with anyone, then HBO is definitely a great uh, platform to do it through. Um, I mean, what about yourself, Stephen? I mean, is it best picture material? Or, I mean, where do you sort of stand I haven't on it at the moment. I haven't seen it. Um, I do have a review copy of it to watch. Everybody I know that has seen it is raving about it. Um, he's a director I like very much. Um, although what my favourite films of his are seem to be at odds with other people's. <laughs> um, the chances of it winning any kind of best. Uh, best film Oscar I would suggest are slim just because of um, as, as the director said those those six inch high words at the bottom of the screen um, you know that that hmm. there have been some success in that world you know with um, it's got to be the most circulated screen cap ever it, it really has but it, <laughs> but I think I'm gonna have a t-shirt of it because I think um I think if there's anything that that we should use as a tagline for our show it should have been that really because uh, yeah, subtitle shouldn't be a. Um... It's funny. I was watch... when watching the Kingdom. Um, I started watching it, and it starts in, in UK Netflix anyway, which seems to be different to what some of other people have been saying. Reading some reviews of the show, is that it starts off in dubbed mode. And I like. I, I watched it for that too. I thought I can't watch this dubbed anymore, and I had to go and it back to Korean <laughs> subtitles. Um, although the second episode then went and showed itself with audio description subtitles, so I get a lot of ominous music and scratching sound and stuff like that which I couldn't be bothered to change but you know I think it's really exciting that people are talking about it so at some other places where I do some work everybody seems very keen on it Um, but I've yet to see it Um, I really must sort that out especially when um, when we're clearly going (laughs) to the reason raising debtor of our show is really one of us really should get around to watching it right it's like we're not it's like we're not since shin godzilla (laughs) yeah it's um i think the problem is with bong joon ho i when he first like saw best onto the scene with the host everyone raved about how much they love the host i just didn't get it i just did not uh get the appeal of that and perhaps because that he's not been like one of those directors i've just like gravitated to every new film that sort of comes out bit unlike the likes of, you know sion sono and uh park chan wook who i was all there as soon as they've got something new out and he's sort of as i said the more i've seen of him the more i'm sort of sort of reevaluating my opinion of his work as director certainly snowpiercer which saw last year made my top 10 of the decade uh, which you can check out from Movies and Tea. We did a podcast, myself and Kim, of re- revealing our top tens of uh, the last decade. And certainly, uh, Okja and Memories of Murder are on the short list of films that I really want to watch, be it through this show or just on my own accord. Um, so I'm very 
interested to get those sort of uh, checked out as soon as possible, really. So I'm excited to see Parasite as and when it filters through, because as I said, at the moment, it's sort of, it should be getting its home release soon. Um, but uh, as, as and when it does, then uh, I will definitely be checking out and seeing what the fuss is all about. And I just hope that it's not one of these situations where it's sort of like, where everybody loves it and it sort of gets so built up in your mind. I mean, I've I've intentionally stayed away from like any sort of synopsis, any sort of trailer, just to go into it like a complete uh, blind watch. Which you know, in these day these day and ages, is not an easy thing to do. So uh, I'd be interested to see um, how it plays out. Something I did um, check out though, uh, it's a rewatch actually that I watched over Christmas, and that was Princess Mononoke, and. I posted this over, um, as I was watching it on on Christmas Day that Princess Mononoke really is the best Christmas movie. If you're looking for something to watch on like Christmas Day, Princess Mononoke like delivers on so many of those levels. Like normally you watch like the Indiana Jones movie for like the four hundredth time, and just saying, just put Princess Mononoke on it hits all those beats you want from like a Christmas Day movie. It's got, you know, action and adventure. It's got comedic elements. It's got fantasy. Uh, there's even horror in there. It sort of ticks all those boxes of what you want for like that Christmas uh, day afternoon, you know, when you're full of turkey and you drank too much and all you want to do is just pass out on the couch. Princess Mononoke is like the just delivers as uh, as that go-to movie. So that's the uh that's that's what i'm pushing for this year everyone get behind the christmas day viewings of princess monoki so i ended up watching apollo 13 on christmas day i just i don't know why <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what that tells you about me but i enjoyed it immensely okay well, that's good <laughs> <laughs> um but, but not perfect christmas day viewing no um, if you're looking for that belated uh, Christmas Day present, though, you can still pick up your copy of the Zoboa Shotgun Calendar, available for a site zoboashotgun.com. Um, Zoe, who we've obviously had on the show numerous times in the past, I mean, she's off doing her thing. She's got her, she's got her own podcast out there. She, I think she's got a couple of podcasts out now at the moment, so you can go check it out. Um, as for our own calendar, it's been wildly unpopular. Because nobody wants to see us in various estates when dressed bent over a Porsche. So funny that. <laughs> <laughs> I would I don't think I don't think I'd put anyone through that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, something to scare the burglars away with. Yeah. <laughs> uh, although it has to be said we've had a strange large amount of popularity for our Funko Pops uh designs we put up online. We put them up on the Instagram, um, a little Funko Pop designs, and we've actually had like Funko Pop collectors asking where they can get them because apparently having Funko Pops of your favorite podcasters is now the thing we're going to be aiming for now going into 2020. So, oh if you haven't checked out Funko Pop uh, Elwood and Funko Pop Steven, you get over to our Instagram and you can check those out and let us know what you think. And if you know what, if we can get enough demand, then we'll see if we can do a limited run with them or something. And uh, because uh, I did did a like a little extension to our our catalog and did a Funko Pop Kim as well, but I sent it sent it over to her and I didn't actually hear anything from her for a day, so I was kind of worried I pissed her off with that one. But she did say she liked it, so yeah, uh, I'll have to get my hair back to blue again if we do this. I'll be stuck you know? like that for the rest of my life, won't I? 
<laughs> and then you can reenact your favourite episodes, I like can, in your downtime. I can. I can have it standing there with my <laughs> with my baby metal Funko Pops. <laughs> How many Funko Pops do you so you actually collect Funko Pops? I don't my co- wife collects Funko Pops. I don't so. collect them. I have I have baby metals. I've got three, including the one yeah. that's not in baby metal anymore. Um and then my kids over the years have bought me I've got Shuri from Black Panther, Star Lord, Mantis <laughs> And I got myself for Christmas sort of Kamala Khan Ms. Marvel one, which I'd been wanting for years. Well, not for years, for, for the entire year. And I had to yeah. wait for the price to come down to a reasonable level. So, yes, I have them on display. Um, but that, So, yeah, seven is what I've got. So okay. myself would be eight. I, I think they're soulless, horrible things, but sometimes they just appeal to the pop culture in me. <laughs> I keep seeing like the odd one or two mm. and think, oh, that'd be kind of cool to have on on the desk and and whatnot. Uh, like you know, like the Godzilla Funko Pops, yeah, um, or something something like that. That'd be pretty cool. But or maybe Domino. I think if I was going to have a Marvel character, I would have Domino. Yeah, I, I, um, I the, the one the ones my kids have got me just because they have to be films we've seen together. But the um, I do like my baby mutt ones do have Pride of Place, um, but. Maybe I'll take a photo for the um, for the website. <laughs> yeah, please do. And then, as I say, we can put you there, and you can be like baby metal and introduce of backing. <laughs> yeah, Stephen Funko Pop. I, I, I'm up for that. <laughs> so yeah, I, as I said, I one of the pieces of art I've always said that I won't have commissioned would be Domino, but as the Golden Swallow. So uh, Chang Pei Pei. Um, the scene where she's in the the tavern, uh, that sort of iconic shot. Just have her replaced with Domino, but same like dress and same setting. I think that'd be really cool. So that's my plan for twenty twenty to get you that need, commissioned. You need to go to one of those um one of the one of the comic conventions and just get an artist. I have an artist lined up. Yeah. Um, I know someone, an artist whose style I really love, and I've actually pitched it to her, and she said sent me a message back saying she thought it was a really cool idea. So. You never Hopefully. know. You never know. If I can get that commissions, then that'd be really awesome. Maybe if maybe we can do a deal where she does us some art and she can come on here and force you to watch something, Stephen. <laughs> However, it, it, rather ironically, I don't think you did this on purpose, even though you are an extremely talented broadcaster, sir. But did you see that Come Drink With Me is getting a Blu-ray release um, next month, month after? I haven't. Um... I know you weren't a huge fan of the film when we viewed it on the podcast, but it's one of my favourites, so I'm really rather excited to maybe finally get my hands on a, a really nice copy of it because I've got hmm. I've got a couple of DVDs of it which are fine, but it would be nice if there's some nice extra features and such like. Yeah, definitely. I mean, say Chang Pei Pei is still alive, and I know she likes the film. She certainly talked about it before because she was on the. Uh, I'm facing Kung Fu Kicks documentary, mm. um, where you get to see all those shots of her as a as a dancer before she went obviously went into into films, which is really cool to see. And I mean, she was also in Naked Weapon as well. She was, yes, yeah, she's, she's she's appeared in a couple of our podcasts. Um, Naked Weapon, funnily enough, we did get a shout out on the French Toast Sunday podcast because I it came up on uh, when they were doing their favorite direct to video. 
films. Uh-huh. Marco from on their site, he was he listed Naked Weapon as one of his favourites, and they were like, "What the hell is Naked Weapon?" And they did the old letterbox search, and of course, it's my name who comes up because I'm friends with those guys. So yeah, it was it's been fun dropping that episode on them, and uh, we're we're going to try and set something up with uh, the guys over there and see what fun things we can obs- we can uh, show them too. But you know, shout out to Mark for, for representing Naked Weapon. We salute you, sir. Indeed. Yes. So come drink with me, February the seventeenth, or from eighty um eighty eight films. Who are sort of one of those people that that tend to send um they tend to do Asian terms sort of kind of late era Shaw Brothers stuff, sort of culty things rather than mainstream releases. Certainly. So I think they did House of Traps. They did. They did. I've got a, um, I've got a few of theirs, but they they all the ones I've got. Are all like Hex, and there's another very late year. So when Shaw Brothers had turned into a horror studio just before they just right. gave up completely. But yeah, come drink with me. So so, but they um they do quite nice little sets. So I'm hoping for some extra features and such like. Um, I think there's a new audio commentary and some improved subtitles. So, um, but uh, yeah, really looking forward to that. Yeah. The set I'm still really excited about for, and we talked about this, I think, on the last episode, um, is still the Gamera set, and mm. we've started getting details through now, and it's going to be a 12-film set, so that will be the whole saga, um, all three sagas of Gamera there, which is going to be really exciting to see, and I'm hoping that Criterion this year are also going to announce that they're going to be doing a follow-up to the Godzilla set, um, as we've still obviously got two heroes, we've got Heisei, and we've got the Millennial, um, Sorry, the Millennium era of uh, Godzilla to cover. So it'd be really great if uh, Criterion do follow it up and obviously give me plenty of notice so I can get the penny saved. And yeah, there's 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 another box set coming out in late February. Um, again, again, it's that time of year. I think I was just hanging around Amazon a lot and just note and 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 for once the um the algorithm's working. It's punting a load of things at me. So there's two films that came to mind. One is Under the Shadow, which is um, a film I love dearly, but it's not quite Asian. It's Middle Eastern. In fact, technically it's British. But um, yeah. um, So I've never really bring it to here. So that's getting a Blu-ray release, which I'm really excited about. But also, they're doing a collection of the three One Missed Call films. The first of which, of course, of course. was done by Takashi Miike, um, which is, up until recently, his only actual proper horror movie that he's ever done. <laughs> until he... Um, and he did um, Over My Dead Body, whatever it was called, fairly recently. But yes, it's basically, it, it, it's three film. I mean, it's a fairly rote Takashi Miike film. Um, the other two films are by people you'll have never heard of. Oh no, that's uh, Renpo Sakamoto and uh, Manabu Aso. I mean, it's it's really a, a, a classic example of diminishing returns <laughs> I mean, hmm. um but bizarrely yeah arrow are putting out a three a three film set of that um i don't know why but uh, there you go end of february for that one but yeah fuck so i nearly swore then you had to put the e on the podcast but um <laughs> there are loads of extra features on it which is just really weird um yeah, I, I I can't understand it at all, but I, I might order it anyway, just to, just to talk about it. Oh, cool. Um, as always, uh, if you want to keep up with any sort of like news, any 
announcements or releases and stuff, definitely check out our Facebook page as uh, we post something nearly every day on there and you can also find any updates of episodes that where you've got posting and things like the mixtape so uh you can check it out there you can also follow our blog which is asiancinemafilmclub.wordpress.com which has got our complete archive of episodes on there as well and uh you can read interesting bits like Derry brooks uh, movie vault series you can check out the mixtape series that we do with uh, team member steph and both of them have uh, already started sending stuff through for the for this year, so we're going to have more stuff coming through very very soon. And as soon as I get my editorial side of things sorted and get it up there, so definitely plenty to look forward to. And I mean, just you know, looking ahead to the the uh, the lives ahead of us, is there any sort of things that you're wanting to sort of bring sort of potentially to the show at the minute any sort of areas that you want to like cover because i know for myself there's like a couple of areas that i feel that we haven't covered but it'd be great to sort of like uh look at this year such as like you know like doing maybe like a bruce lee movie or a jackie chan movie for example um and certainly there's like the Sion sono catalog and the the studio ghibli catalog that have got titles in there that i'm sort of keen to discuss as well but is there anything that's sort of like in the top of your sort of watch pile that you're considering bringing to the show at all? Um, yeah, there is. Um, so it's funny you should say that. The, the 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 Bruce Lee and the Jackie Chan definitely something Jackie Chan we must do. Um, yeah. This is what year three or four I can never remember, but um, I believe we're in year four now. Uh, it's just sort of flying by and, at this process. And, so. and you know, have we even done a Jet Li movie? Um, no, no, we haven't so that, done a Jet Li. So so. You know, although personally, I'm happy not to have kung fu or martial arts films because my whole thing is not Asian films of that. It does seem somewhat churlish not to have a Jet Li or a, or a Jackie Chan, something or other. Um, I think we've talked about them obliquely, and we've even recommended them as alternatives, <coughs> but we've never actually covered a film. Um, I also, I mean, you talked about. Um, Parasite earlier. Um, I really want to bring another Bong Joon Ho film to the party, um, and I and the film I want to talk about next week, which I get, uh, next episode is is kind of I'm very keen on as well. But I don't want to kind of spoil it until we get to the end of the episode, really. Okay. Um, obviously, talk about Bong uh, Bong Joon Ho though. Are we does Okja count as an Asian cinema film? Well, it's funny. It's a bit like I was saying, like under the shadow, isn't it? Because um, yeah. where so 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 what does count as Asian? So we've always been. I think we've always stuck around Southeast Asia for one, haven't we? Um, yes, we, that's right. we 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 could, which is why some of the Middle Eastern stuff you think mm, could fit in, and obviously we've avoided the whole subcontinent because. You know, the podcast ain't long enough to cover a Bollywood film. But there's more to it. You know, I have looked at other Indian cinemas other than Bollywood in the past, and that, that could be somewhere we go. But I guess what what makes something Asian? What makes something Korean? Is it the money? Is it the language? Is it, yeah, is, is it where it's produced? I, th- I think Okja can certainly be covered because... Uh, and I think Snowpiercer certainly can. I mean, Bong, Bong Joon-ho has had two films which exist outside of the south korean film industry yeah but aren't but but are absolutely south korean in their um 
implementation so there may be a couple of other faces around tilda swinton might turn up and and such like but um i i i think both those films we can talk about they wouldn't be the films that i'd go to um i really really adore memories of murder and i think that's his finest piece of work and i really 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 like mother which i have a hard time getting anyone interested in at all so Longer term spoilers, that's what I might bring to the party. Of <laughs> course, <laughs> it's like whenever you plan these things out, I remember, I think it was like the second season, I, I messaged you and it's like, I've got the whole like season planned out my picks and we didn't cover any of it. No. Because we just got distracted by other things. So there's always, as I said, it's just going, when I look at like the potential list, it's always in the most vaguest of terms. It's sort of like goals mm. more than specific titles that uh, I want to bring in. Certainly, if we can get, and certainly what I'm trying to do with like some of the Jackie Chan movies and stuff is to find bringing sort of people who've never seen these movies before because I'd really love to get that fresh view, just like the opinions of someone who's never seen these films before. Because then when you look at like Bruce Lee and Jackie Chan, they're so in the pop culture sort of spectrum. That it's like the Dark Knight. It's very hard to find someone who's not seen these films and to get that sort of opinion that hasn't been sort of like tinted by cult and repeat viewings and just, you know, growing up with these films. And that's what I've always enjoyed about like the Kaiju Christmas picks is the fact that often I'm just giving you films that you've never seen before and just getting that sort of fresh take. So it'd be yeah. fun to really get the fresh takes for those ones especially so and, and there is there is one other thing because we had a message on the facebook group from um, one of our common commenters who was asking about our views on um Jiajanke, um which kind of highlighted we've barely touched chinese cinema proper mainland chinese cinema at all and they were all very excited about sort of what we call these um and we can't remember which uh, which year is is it the sixth generation of Chinese cinema, so basically the the, the, the modern, our contemporaries age-wise, the sort of the guys in their 40s and 50s um, that are making films. And we, I barely know anything about them. Um, but, you know, I think we've both got a touch of sin, haven't we? Um, hanging around in our yeah, pile somewhere. Yeah, touch of sin. Um, it's in one we both talked about. So. And, and so so that might be something we want to look at. Just, just you know, that that era for sure but just that we haven't really looked at a proper mainland chinese film and they are very different to hong kong films um so, you know we've looked at taiwanese films we've and uh, but but mainland china is a, is a very different beast um so i think i think that's something i'd like to bring this year but you know even with our with our bi-weekly schedule um it doesn't take long to use up your 12 picks a year does it <laughs> It's uh certain certain the case, and I mean, I mean, we did when we were like looking at the the best of lists that were coming through. It's sort of like the list only gets longer. <laughs> it doesn't uh, ever get shorter. <laughs> that's for sure. So no, we need we need some kind of decade long filmmaking strike to give us a chance to catch up. But it is it is, and 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 you you have a pile of films, and then the new ones come and they go on top and. It's terrifying. I, I don't know about you, but the amount, you know the amount of films that I haven't seen that I own are. It's not worth thinking about. The house I could have bought. It's, <laughs> it's, <laughs> but, I think as we, as I mentioned before, I mean you can pretty much just fit into the Grand Canyon to everything that I haven't seen up until this yeah. point. So, but you know, I'd rather have plenty to see than 
a fear of not having enough to see. Oh, so. a- absolutely. But it doesn't help when companies like Arrow and 88 Films keep putting out these sets or collections or redoes of films that, you know, I, I guess I've been watching Asian cinema seriously for about 20 years. And there were the days where I'd have to go and pick it up from the internet from dodgy websites and believe you know this is before you i found yes asia and places like that i've been to some really obscure websites to pick films up and paid a lot of money and, and then clearly it's just like a video cd transferred to dvd and things like that and now that they're all being done in blu-ray or really exciting dvd sets is it's kind of interesting you think oh i was ahead of that curve but now <laughs> now i'm rebuying those bloody films again <laughs> Yeah, he, says, he um, says, looking at his ring collection. <laughs> yeah, how many times did you buy that? And... Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, as you said, uh, Rashmi from the Facebook page um, put out a, a request for some Bong Joon Ho, and she's obviously requested for um, for like Tetsuo as well. Um, uh, for, so that's uh, Shinsuke. Uh, to, to Sukumoto. So, to Sukumoto, certainly we will get to this year. <laughs> Even if it kills me, we will finally live up to our promise of saying we're going to cover a To Sukumoto film. We do, in, uh, we, one... we do have 11 choices each now a year. Obviously, we get the Halloween one, which might be a little bit more of a joint effort or, or from the Facebook group and we have Kaiju Christmas so that that loses two of our episodes but if we can't if we can't fit all the stuff that we've talked about in this year I'll be disappointed but we won't <laughs> so uh, yeah anything that uh, you guys do want us to cover there's a director or a film uh, or like a TV show they think we should be checking out let us know on the Facebook page or let us send us uh, um, an email through our blog or you can contact us on Twitter or Instagram, wherever you happen to be following uh, following us too. Let us know. We always love to hear recommendations because there's always going to be titles that slip past us, be it like the old sort of cool and obscure titles or there'll be something new that's come out that's just not come up on our uh, radar over here on these rain-soaked shores of the UK. So we always love to hear from uh, you guys and the interaction and and uh, that over on, on the Facebook page and swell has just been absolutely fantastic. So, uh, yeah, let us know if there's something you want to cover and we will try and work it in. So, But um, one last thing before we obviously go into our featured uh, viewing tonight, I have to give a shout out to Exploding Helicopter Podcast, uh, hosted by Will, who has an obsession with how helicopters explode on film uh, so much so that he built his site exploding helicopter and his podcast all about looking at the unique ways that helicopters explode and uh, on his most recent episode he's looking at dragon wars which is a film where nothing happens until the end uh but it does if i'm yet to believe what he's telling me feature the most exploding helicopters shown on film so even if you subject yourself to Dragon Wars, because it was one of those films it was so hyped when it was coming out, and then I, I, everybody, of course, saw it. I have no recollection of it whatsoever. Okay. What? If you hang around the Sci-Fi Channel long enough, it will come up on there eventually. Right. Okay. Is it? Is it in the? Is it in the same sort of uh, yeah. genre bracket as um, Mega Shark versus Tornadoes and things like that? Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> the Korean effort to that genre. <laughs> okay. Right. I, I, do you know what? I've got such a big list. Unless you're going to tell me it's spectacularly magnificent, I thought we would never mm. watch it. <laughs> uh, 
coming up on next episode Dragon Wars <laughs> that might be the only way to trick me into seeing it you say I'm gonna get this is my revenge on you for the um, Edward Yang film <laughs> yeah don't think I forgot that one no so. I'm sure you're, you're gonna hold it as a grudge <laughs> well uh, that's obviously what we've been watching and uh, what's obviously been happening in the exciting world of Asian cinema so I think without further ado it's time we move on to our feature viewing for tonight Antique Bakery Tonight we're going to be talking about Antique Bakery, which released in 2008. Um, as we said already, this is a live-action adaptation of both uh, the manga and the anime. Um, the film itself sees a sort of world-bird heir to a corporate fortune, uh, Jin Hyuk, who has basically got everything he wants. He's got looks, he's got money, charm. Uh, the only thing he hasn't got is his true love. And to do that, he decides that he's going to open a cake shop. And in doing so, hires Sun Woon, who is a really talented patisserie artist who he had a sort of unfortunate run in when they were in high school where he rejected his advances um in doing so cursing Sun Hu with demonic allure to any man who happens to cross his path um to the point that he's now finds himself constantly fired from the various bakeries he works at because all the men keep trying to sleep with him Joining the pair, we have uh, G. Byum, who's an ex-boxing champion, who comes on as the apprentice to Sun Woon. And we also have uh, Su Young, who is the clueless bodyguard of Sin Hyuk. And the two, the four, some set about setting up this this bakery shop, which soon becomes the talk of the quite little neighbourhood that they've set up in. At the same time, drawing in... Um, forgotten memories by uh, Jin Hook of his childhood past which have given him a reversion to cake which is obviously the more one of the more unique ideas if you're going to set up a cake shop uh, but uh, Stephen I mean this is a film you'd seen before this is the first time I watched myself and um, it, it was one of those ones films that's been on the watch list for a while because when Terracotta sort of first started announcing the titles of the, the on their label um i basically sort of went through and just added a bunch of them to my watch pile and uh it felt like time to finally cross this one off the list so yeah. what did uh what do you think of it it's kind of interesting so this film has some resonance with me regardless of what film it is it was one of the f i think it was possibly the first film i reviewed for easternkicks.com back in the day um if it wasn't the first review published it was the first film that i actually watched 
Um, anyway, I can't remember. I remember it. And I was very surprised when you chose it. Um, and so much so, I had to go back and look at... Before watching it, I went back and read my review. Because it wasn't a film which had... Um, I can't say I remembered the, the plot in detail, but I remembered the high concept that there's like these four incredibly good-looking Korean guys <laughs> um, that run a bakery. And I remember it being quite... Um, and it was also directed by the guy that did the second Whispering Corridors films, um, Memento Mori, which is a really avant-garde horror film and maybe one we'll talk about one day the whispering corridors films are films we should talk about anyway i digress he's a kind of interesting filmmaker that doesn't quite do things normally um and this film wears its manga roots on its sleeve is that fair to say in terms of how he represents things on the screen lots of quick edits lots of um uh, highly over exaggerated emotions um it i found i find the first half of it really hard to watch because it's trying to chuck in everything that's happened in the manga i mean it's it's not a massive manga we're like there's about 12 episodes uh 12 issues or 12 it's in a it's in one of the i think it's from one of the monthly so it this 12 things he's got to get in but he covers he tries to cover every character and try and at least introduce their story um although uh, the the story of of um his, with their korean as jin hook and uh Sun will take sort of center stage don't they um yeah and i also remember it being very how how to put this in a sensitive way it's very gay um <laughs> not necessarily that doesn't mean a good thing or a bad thing it's just camp that's the word i'm after okay. um it's it's a very camp movie um but wears its campness on its sleeve which makes it really interesting because you don't get a lot of that in korean cinema um you get a lot of it in subtext um because obviously it's full of these incredible you know, korean cinemas full of these sort of androgynous boys all over the place especially in um korean television shows and that's what it felt like to me it felt like a sort of feature film version of a korean drama that was brave enough to say hey look one of our lead characters isn't just gay but he's a he's a gay with demonic charm (laughs) (laughs) um so that always that that that, that's what i remembered about the film that 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 it it had quite a lot of visual flair and that it was quite brave in terms of Korean cinema, to be very open about the homosexuality of, of its lead character, and indeed potentially one of the other characters as well. So it, it plays around with that. But then what I remember about it is it went in a really blooming strange place in the second half of the film, which all <laughs> kind of makes sense when you understand the big picture. So watching it the second time, I didn't feel quite as surprised when the the film changes and concentrates much more in this kidnapping and why he's done the why this bakery is it even exists for a man who doesn't like cake and why he doesn't like cake and it all it all kind of makes sense don't really hold up as a plot <laughs> it's um mm. you can pick you can pick holes through it the size of chocolate eclairs but um yeah i i i, I always thought it was a, it was an absolutely okay fine film but not I, I never really quite twigged why um, why Terracotta picked it up because it's 
very atypical for Korean cinema, I think. I think it feels much more like a Japanese film. Well, it's hard to, when you look at the Terracotta's um, sort of catalogue, it's, it's certainly a unique selection of titles there, and I think that's what certainly helped them stand out when you compare it to obviously what was coming out through like Tartan and Arrow and these other labels that, that uh, are certainly sprung up. you really got to sort of find your own sort of like niche niche titles and stuff and I think this is certainly what Third Window Films have also done as well when they like pick up titles like um, Se- Secrets to Pick Up uh, Boys or um, How to Use Guys and Secret Tips yeah, yeah How to Use Guys and Secret Tips and um, Vulgaria yeah and, uh, th- those sorts and they of do, films and so, they go for the quirky stuff so I think there's a whole collection of short films called um stories about quirky guys and quirky girls i mean i think that's their uh, their thing um <coughs> so absolutely i agree um there is a there is a they as well as the takashi mics and the science sonos and 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 all those sort of modern classics if you like from from mostly from japan they did have a few quirky films of this is one of them um and it is very it does have that feel of of Korean cinema, of oh, sorry, of Korean TV shows. So it, it could be a bit of a gateway drug into that if you're not careful. But anyway, what's that? <laughs> <that's>... Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's funny you should mention obviously about the Korean TV series because I did actually recommend this one to team member Steph because I know she loves her Korean, she loves her K K pop boys and she loves her uh, Korean TV shows. So I think she really get a kick out of this one when she does get around to uh, checking it out. So. And and actually and 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 to be fair, the the, the two main leads, um, uh, up to this point, had been very much um, uh, stars of TV shows and really popular TV shows. So um, uh, Kim Jae Wook was was in um, Rule of Your Own World, which was a massive hit uh, back in two thousand and two, and then. He was in Coffee Prince, and the other fella, um, Jun Ji Hoon, was in uh, Princess Hours, which was another massive, massive hit. So these guys, these guys, if it wasn't their first feature film, it was it was close to it, and they were making that move from television to cinema during quite a golden age for Korean drama. Um, and I just, I just, I just feel the acting, the style, the 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 whole, the whole feel of the piece feels very much like this is a this is a this is a feature film version of a of a Korean drama. So I think Steph will yeah. love it. I think I think I think she really will love it. That's good. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's funny. Obviously, the LGBT themes throughout this film it's very much in the in the sort of like new queer cinema slant and it surprised me as well the fact that when you mentioned that they picked it the fact it was uh had these lgbt elements because i never even thought about that going into the into the film and then as i'm watching i'm trying to think well there isn't a huge amount of lgbt cinema within asian cinema certainly there's a lot of like cute boys kissing sort of anime out there you know like high class hey cast president or ginger or romantica um there was i mean when i was sort of like getting into anime so like in the early 90s there was that those bits and pieces coming across and it's funny how many of my female friends it's like their thing for like cute boys kissing well i mean it's so the original manga is a. Uh, I need to get this right is it yaoi is that the is that the sub-genre 
which is basically boys love or something like that um which is very much around cute boys kissing and is aimed at mm, sort of 25 to 45 year old women it's not mm. really it's not really gay queer cinema in, in the way that we might understand it but it, but that's a thing although that's a thing in japanese animated so both 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 sort of manga and, and, and anime it's not a thing in korean cinema at all um the, the, the amount of queer cinema in Korea even now is tiny very much limited to the indie world it's still homosexuality is still not really accepted if we compare it to somewhere like Taiwan where they have you know gay marriage um, that that won't happen for another hundred years in South Korea yeah it's a very conservative little sea country um, although they're clearly playing with you know in terms of things they do with boy bands and things like that they're definitely playing with androgyny and the like but but if someone was to come out as gay that would be career ending for them you know and that's not passing i'm not passing any judgment there that's just how it is it's just yeah it's a cultural statement really isn't it it, so it it is and so to to find this film you know someone is absolutely the gayest person you'll ever see on film i mean he's he he ticks all the you know he's 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 you know and some of this is stereotypes and um and maybe some of it's not very healthy and some of the words that are bandied around in the film we might um with our superior western sensibility um might frown upon um so there's a bit of that a bit a bit of that um there's a there's a there's a there's a I'm going to say French fellow. I think he's Canadian in real life, but um, they said, "Oh, I don't know. Is he, I don't know." The, the 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 French guy that comes. I mean, there's 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 male kissing in this film, yeah, and I can't think of any other South Korean film where there is sexual male kissing. Um, there's a depiction of that relationship potentially being abusive and violent. Um, again, usually when there's sort of interperson violence in a Korean movie it's um it's not really critiqued it's just the way it is you know, men hit men hit their wives and such like um and men hit children and now men hit each other when their their relationships are going well so there's there's all kinds of stuff going on in this film which all don't just seem at odds because this is kind of a on the whole a kind of frothy movie but um, because you just don't see this in Korean cinema. If this if this was a Japanese film, yeah. Although there are issues there as well, I I can see. It. Oh, it's a it's a manga remake, and 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 they're playing around with with sort of gender politics and stuff like that. I can kind of see that kind of quirky Japanese thing getting down. I've ne- but, I cannot yeah, think, I, mean, I cannot think you... of another Korean film anything like this. Yeah, certainly. When you think of like the example, the times that I've seen homosexuality within within Japanese cinema, uh, such as like you know Takashi Miike's uh, Shinju, uh, Shinjuku Triad Society, it's very seen as a very deviant act. Uh, we see it looking like Hong Kong with like beast cops. Again, it's sort of like oh, homosexual homosexuality used to be illegal. <laughs> How the world changes. Uh, so again, it's all it's all been when it's been since it's looked down a very sort of deviant act. It's not um, seen as a very sort of acceptable thing, even, even though obviously we've uh, when we look at those 
those uh, animes that are out there, obviously focusing around cute boys kissing. But um, yeah, certainly the the homosexual elements here um, are handled. They're handled in a very sort of comedic light. We obviously have like Sun Wu, who's goes from being this nerdy kid who is introduced having like a gato thrown in his face to suddenly being like the hottest thing in the town it's like when the uh the bartender at the club he sort of hangs out at says that he'd like excludes fem pheromones that just means that he's just like the most popular guy uh in town and that men just can't help but want to sleep with him well because what he says is when he was rejected at school by the guy <laughs> <laughs> I was going to go and kill myself, but I thought I'd just go to a club just to have a drink first, and then it all happened for me. <laughs> I'm saying, yeah, there's there's many good ideas that come out of people failing to kill themselves. <laughs> Mark Maron set up WTF, yeah, because um, he said he went into his shed with every intention to hang himself, and looked at the space and thought, well, I could put a recording studio in here, and then focus on making a podcast instead. Yeah, okay, so, yeah. <laughs> so... There's a number of good ideas that come out of people's failed attempts to kill themselves, and in his case, it's the fact he became cursed with demonic allure to all men. Uh, but at the same time, he's scared of women. So, which is which is interesting. So there's there's, there's things like that in this film. Um, his fear of women is yes. sort of mentioned a couple of times, but never really comes to any. It doesn't really ever mean anything to anything, does it? It's it's. it's it's, it's just more a problem to overcome, really. Yeah, and but it's never, it's never, it's, for... it's never really a big deal, and it's no bit of the film when he concentrates on that. And I can't help wondering if there's more in the manga. It reminds me a bit of um, uh, Big Bang Theory, where Raj has the same issue, doesn't he? Where he can't talk yeah. to women, and then, and then they go, "This is too bloody difficult. Let's just get him out. <laughs> Let's just get past this," because um, it's only sort of a mentioned again in the. In the very final scene, where he says, "Oh, you're talking to women now." Oh, yes, I am. And you think, "Okay, <laughs> it's um," it, but but he never stops being a gay of demonic allure. I think it's just mainly played up for comedic effect, mm, but I... because Jin Hyukus is obviously hires him as this as this uh, baker for his uh, his shop because he's got this sort of legendary status, and much like uh, the fact that he's he's gay, they play up like, "Oh." You had this crush on me when I was in school, and there's scenes later in the film where he tries to, uh, where uh, Jin Hyuk attempts to seduce Sun Wu by saying that he's fallen from him to try and keep him with the bakery. So that those elements are played up, and the fact that he's scared of women again, it's just played purely for laughs. It's all like, oh, can't you just pretend they're cute guys? It's like one of the ta- one of the times he's reprimanding him for like not going out to serve these uh, young schoolgirl types that are hanging around the this bakery. Um, and I, I mean, I really enjoy. I personally, for myself, I enjoyed the first hour of this film a lot more than the second. Just seeing how it comes together, how the different members join the bakery, and just you know these these problems that they're having. Once we get into like the second hour of this film, and we start having these flashbacks to like Jin Hook's past, where he was kidnapped as a child, and this whole sort of like mystery of who this kidnapper could potentially be in the neighborhood it's like kind of lost me in a way much like when uh some Wu's french lover played by, played by uh, andy galette turns up to town and tries to uh seduce him away to to join his hotel chain um those sort of elements didn't really hold the same appeal that we had in that first hour where it's sort of like you know jinhyuk 
trying to set up his bakery and we've got uh, Sunwoo's assistant um, Su Young coming in and learning how to be a baker and at the same time being paid in cake which I thought every time he's, you cut to him he's just constantly stuffing his face with cake which I thought was kind of funny so yeah <laughs> I don't know I, don't, I mean I, um, I, 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 I like you I, I thought the first half was a bit confusing because it was trying to yeah. I, it was trying to cover all these elements and say make sure every character got their story in um you know, some of it was a bit clumsy like we found out the guy was a boxer and and because an ex another boxer recognized him and, and then they say oh yeah but they didn't really do anything with it and then even that secondary character gets introduced and is mentioned again later in a very brief scene but you can't help wondering it's in the manga or in the in the japanese tv show was there more to it was something else go on um but then when, the, when we get to the second half where we, we find out what, why this is all happening and the whole kidnapping thing. And there were a couple of nice little um, a couple of nice little twists, aren't there, along the way. But it, the whole thing wasn't as engaging. And then the fact the film kind of... I don't know about you. Do you feel it sort of botched the ending a bit? <laughs> well, where he's fighting the smoke monster from Lost. Yeah, yeah maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um... I mean, it gives him a redemptive, a redemptive arc, but at the same time, it it doesn't really solve the mystery that it wants that is seemingly setting out to solve. Because we have this whole like, this whole like a uh, mystery here with these children being kidnapped, and that you know, that he had set this bakery up as a way to capture this pe- this man who had kidnapped him as a child and forced him to eat cake, which is why he's now got this aversion to cake. Um, so much so that every time he eats cake, he has to go and throw it up instantly. And it's, I mean, I, while we're obviously talking about cake, I mean, I do have to say this film is some serious food porn. Yeah. Uh, if you, especially <laughs> if you like cake, this is this this will uh, do the same things for you that Marianne Antoinette did. Yeah. Um. So it's it's um. Yeah. If you like sort of French patisserie. If, yeah, Patisserie Valerie is your place to go to for um, looking at looking through the window and enjoying looking at the cake. This this will be this will be right up your alley. If you like if you like if you like pretty young twenty something Korean boys and cake, mm. you will be visually very happy with this movie. Oh, definitely so. And when we have the the scene where Sunwoo's attempting to teach uh, Jin Hyuk about how to make the different cakes, and it like turns into that whole big musical number um i thought that was really fun as well so and it's just a shame that it doesn't carry that energy into that sort of second half the fact it becomes more sort of a mystery more just the the drama about uh the idea of sun Wu being sort of lured away um to another bakery it's, it, this sort of like focused on like these mini sort of crisis rather than just like keeping this upbeat comedic element that they're sort of building in the first half um, is this decision that it sort of didn't carry it across even though it, the second half is still fun these characters are still really fun to be around and they all get the sort of moments to shine uh, even though when we look at uh, Sue Yacht look at the um, the bodyguard mm. um who is um, it, the relation? He has this uh, relationship with uh, Jin Hyuk, which is kind of uh, reminiscent of the um, the Sergei and Alexei 
um, meerkat adverts. <laughs> All right, yeah, I like it, but yeah. <laughs> uh, which obviously, if you if you guys are outside of the UK, you'd probably be a bit lost in that analogy. But yeah, basically, um, he just he, the whole film is just basically Jin Hyuk shouting at his bodyguard for constantly being his shadow. And then by the end of the film, the fact they hit this um, when they they find this sort of like resolution, and he goes off to do his whole thing. This is almost this sadness of the fact that he's losing his shadow, which I thought was kind of sweet. So yeah, I, I mean it's kind of nice. So, so, so that, that 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 character, um, what's he called again? Uh, Su Young. He 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 sort of comes in, and he's sort of wedged in quite early on in the film, and he doesn't really make a lot of sense until you learn why he's following him around why he's looking after him until the moment he says i don't need to be here anymore i'm leaving and you suddenly understand what he's been doing there the whole time yeah and then there's the weird relationship that he has with um sion Wu as well which is um i believe in the it's not that relationship isn't in the original manga but it's in work that the writer of the manga has done privately okay um so there's this this sort of of, this antique is this 12-part story but he's done other spin-off work that's not within the confines of the of the proper industry because although boys kissing is a thing they do just stop at kissing where it's more like um Oh, what's that stuff? It was called slash fiction. People, I don't know if it's still a thing where people used to write homoerotic <laughs> stories about um, about pop culture characters. Well, apparently in Japan, some some manga creators do that of their own stuff, but they have to publish it privately. So I think that 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 storyline comes from there. Yeah, and I, I, mean, I love the fact when he's he's trying to get rid of this. Uh, this this bodyguard that's been assigned to him, and he t- he even get resorts to uh, pimping out some woo to use his demonic seduction charms to um, to seduce him in probably the most awkward romantic scene you're gonna mm. see this year. Um, oh, which uh, doesn't has to real no effect, but just the fact he's just constantly there. He doesn't say a lot. He's just constantly there with his sunglasses on, and the he just uh, sort of relents and just hires him as a waiter which it, 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 it's not, bizarrely not, he fits in he's not a very good waiter is he <laughs> no, but. but but yeah I mean they're all I think what's quite nice about this film is that it could have been very easy for the three characters that aren't some woo to be very generic um, because obviously I, I do think that um, Kim Jae-wook's performance is pretty fantastic because he's He's an outrageous homosexual, in a way that you don't see in these films. As I, as I keep saying, you know, this is some people might look at this and say, "Oh, that's a bit stereotypical," but it's not in Korean cinema because these people don't exist in cinema in in Korea. Um, and and he's got depth to it, but the other guys are all you, they're all unique enough and all quite different and. I think that's a strength of the film. It, it, it's sort of, sort of sitcom quality, isn't it? Where yeah. where all the four characters, you could quite happily have followed any one of the four in their own film. So you could you could have had the story about the, the rich boy who was kidnapped and trying to find out who kidnapped him. You could have had the story about the gay guy who seems to keep picking the wrong men because of his... <laughs> 
uh, uh, he, he can't help his attractiveness. You could have had the story about the ex-boxer who, if he gets into a fight, he could go blind, but retrains as a patisserie chef. You could have had the story about the guy, the bodyguard that's looking after his charge until the crisis is over and then has to go off on his own. You know, all these things could have been a thing, and I think they, I think it mixes together really well. And you said, I mean, you've constantly mentioned about how homosexuality is portrayed in the in the film, but I feel within the context of this world, it never feels that it's trying to be offensive. I, it's just how these characters are around each other. I feel that it sort of balances things out. I mean, yes, obviously, uh, when we look at Jin Hyuk, he's constantly he starts off as this character who constantly feels that uh, somewhere is constantly going to like come onto him and that he's going to try and pick him up, and it's sort of this very that's sort of misguided. Um, idea of what gay men mm. are that they, that they just have to hit on every man in sight um which i think is when you sort of think about it, it's kind of fun that the fact that here the film flips it with some woo where every man tries to hit on him mm. rather than the reverse and oh, it does, so, it does, um, it does, yeah now you've mentioned it maybe i haven't made this very clear this film lives in a universe where homosexuality is absolutely accepted yeah, this ga- oh, yeah. this gay bar is the most fun place in the world. Um, the 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 fact that someone is gay, yes, it's uncomfortable for Jin Hook, but actually, it turns out actually, you know, there might be something there. After all, you find out a bit later on that there there, there might be something there. The fact that um, uh, Su Young is 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 potentially going to have a relationship with someone is is just dealt with quite nicely. The um, no one, no one ever has a go at some woo after the opening minute when he gets um gets the cake in his face for being gay. Um, this is a very gay-friendly version of Korea that this film generates, and um, all, all the power to it for that. It's there's no there's no there's no um, soul-searching whingy whininess about it people just are and they're very happy in the way that they are and come and join us is basically what it's saying yeah the 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 one the one character i really wanted to um see more of though was the bartender yes um who i didn't catch his his name but i just every time he was on screen it was just brilliant so he has like all the best lines in the film that is an actor called uh ko chang sok who is in a ton of films so you will recognize him from sympathy for lady vengeance okay um he's also in the host he's also in i'm just having a look down here other sort of famous films that he's in um I was in a whole bunch of films such as like Quick and Over My Dead Body and Miss Conspirator. He always has the sort of um, uh, it says it here on his Wikipedia page. He has these sort of scene stealing performances. He's I think he's a comedian by trade, um, but he's he's one of those faces you'll see in a whole ton of films, and um, he he's like one of those supporting actors that's just just a load of. But yeah, you're absolutely right. He has this. Um, uh, yeah, he just has these great lines <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> so, um, yeah, um, trying to think now. Anything else um, in this one that you want to to mention at all? I don't think so. I think I just sort of 
really want to just reiterate the point that this was a film that I was surprised you picked that okay. I remember that I had good feelings for but wasn't one that stuck with me I guess it, it's a bit like the cake really isn't it it's 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 a it's a very sweet treat um, but you wouldn't want too much of it um, and maybe it doesn't it doesn't quite linger in there I, I don't I think I think there's an audience there. I think Steph's the perfect person to send it to. I think if you can grasp this and you can enjoy the this as a as a Reader's Digest version of a Korean drama, it might be a gateway drug into that kind of film. Um, sorry, that kind of entertainment. Um, just got to bear in mind that they go on for like 26 episodes and uh, things happen much more slowly and <laughs> they all follow a certain pattern. But uh, yeah, and and and. It's just it's just an interesting film, but fairly unique within Korean cinema. So yeah, interesting one for you to pick. But well, I think you enjoyed it as well. Yeah, definitely. So I mean, um, it's a film that's a it's a you know it's a light Korean comedy, and I've just I mean they I really enjoyed my time with the film as you said already. It's it's not the sort of thing that you can you can sustain yourself on this this sort of movie, but as a as an occasional treat, it's certainly a a fun one. I almost felt like comparing it's like the films like Stephen Chow, even though it's not as madcap as that. I think certainly the bickering humour um, elements to it certainly brought back to mind um, a lot of a lot of how his characters like to interact with each other. Um, as to what to recommend for further viewing. Um, I think the only thing I can think of, because it would be um, obviously to, check, to go back and revisit Got a Cookery, which was a Stephen Chow movie. Um, but Stephen, I mean, is there anything you could think that would pair nicely with this? I mean, we obviously mentioned already about like, the boys kissing anime um, as well, so if people want to see more of that, they can check that out. But um, anything you would personally put with this? So I've got three different ways to go with this. Um... One is actually a film you you already mentioned, um, bizarrely, which was a how to okay. which how to use go guys with secret tips, which is how come I managed to complete the title quickly because it was in my list of um, films. It's 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 a South Korean romantic comedy. Um, couple of years, about five or six years older than this film, um, a film I love very much, very entertaining, really strongly performance by Lee Si Young, who's, a, who's somebody who I wish did more work um but it's got that you know it, it's not queer but it's got a very frothy interesting um style to it feels like i don't think it's it's based on a web um a web comic or anything like that but if it is then it definitely's got that it's got that same kind of frothy sugary feel to it um so so that would be a that would be a very uh that would be a very saccharine not saccharine's probably the wrong word a very sugar high a couple of movies to put together um the director like i said the director is a really interesting director um uh, if you want to have a look at probably his most famous film is probably memento mori like i mentioned before which is the second whispering corridors film which is kind of interesting because it's a bit well there are lots of different versions of it so you've got to be careful but it's um the first Whispering Corridors film is very much a sort of straight up girl, girl school horror film. The second film is basically one of the first LGBT 
films that's been in South Korea at all that that was popular. Um, but uh, basically, lesbian schoolgirl horror. That's that's just be honest about it. But it's a really interesting but quite an artsy film. Um, for me, it's the most difficult of the Whispering Corridor films just to sort of dig. But um, you know, if you wanted to see his, you know, the director's work. You could go there. And the final thing is, I was having a look then when we were talking about sort of queer cinema in South Korea. And it is rare, but there are a couple of examples. Um, and one you might have seen, or you might have heard of Elwood, is Bungie Jumping of Their Own, um, which stars Lee Byung-hun from, you know, he of um, uh, the, the G.I. Joe films fame, and uh, Lee and Ju, <laughs> who's... Um, uh, I, the one of the girl, the girl I talked about um, in one of my uh, dark tales of cinema films uh, pieces, which was uh, suicide, um, one of the suicide girls, as it were. Um, it's a film about basically it's it's a Korean weepy. Um, uh, Lee Byung Hun marries um, Lee Eun Joo, and then she gets killed in a car accident. Um, because that's the kind of love story that these films are. But where it gets interesting is is that he comes a uh, about 17 years later becomes a teacher in the school, and then he gets real attraction for a, one of the boys in his class, and then they work out that this boy is the um, is the in- reincarnation of his uh, ex-wife or ex-girlfriend, and. Um, and so, so basically, they're, they're soulmates, but outwardly to the rest of the world, it appears that they're having some kind of a homosexual affair. So it's um, kind of an interesting, brave piece, especially for the actor um, Lee Byung Hun, who you probably wouldn't associate with such a sensitive um, role. So yeah, so there, there, there's, there's one by the director, one that's a frothy comedy, and one that's uh, another piece of queer cinema. Fantastic. Um, as always, you can uh, check out our complete list of recommendations through our further sins over on the um, blog, which is asyncinemafilmclub.wordpress.com. Uh, and on there, you can let's say check out our complete archive. We do put in the show notes um, all our favorite recommendations, and there is a link to the letterbox list as well, which has got every single film that we've covered including the recommendations on there so you can uh, check them off as you go um but uh steven uh before we head off what uh, have you picked for our next episode so um i thought i'd pick another south korean film and it's a film that's on my cinema shame list <laughs> um I'm hoping you're going to be able to find a copy of this um by a director that is really so when we we talk a lot about park chanwook and sorry, I've got some feedback from Coke there. So we talk about um, Park Chan Wook and uh, Bong and, and a few others uh, as as sort of those sort of well-known Korean directors in the West that have had um, maybe some success at festivals or that, that at least their films are known. Maybe they've had um, DVDs produced over here. Um, another one of those names who we don't talk about is Lee Chang Dong. Um, who's, uh, I think, um, his Burning last year was the first Korean film to get on the shortlist for Best Foreign Language Film, believe it or not. That's the first time it ever happened, was, was um, uh, I think it was the year before last. So that's why I'm 
dissing the possibility of Parasite. <laughs> um, <laughs> however, um, Lee Chang Dong's made a bunch of really interesting films: um, Secret Sunshine, Poetry Burning, uh, Greenfish. Um, but the one I want to go to is one called Peppermint Candy, which um, okay. I've never seen. Which is my definite cinema shame to me because this is an era of um, Korean cinema, sort of 1999, 2000, where I was really consuming a lot of Korean cinema. It's really highly thought of. Lots of awards. We'll get a bit of um, a bit of history in there because it's it's basically a, 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 a by all accounts a sort of a, a clever way of looking at the recent history of South Korea as a country. Um, so yeah, peppermint candy. Just have a look now at this one because I believe I saw it when it came through Mumbai, so it'd be fun to obviously revisit that and see if I've actually seen something that you haven't seen, Stephen. When it comes to art, more arty cinema, so yeah, it's, it's um, going to happen somewhere, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that would uh, obviously at least nineteen ninety nine, the greatest cinema year ever. So certainly makes me uh, all the more excited to uh, check that out but it is available through Fed Window Films so uh, we'll get on to that as well So, but um, yeah that's the obviously the end of our show, thank you as always for listening and uh, if, as I say if you haven't done already please do like us on Facebook and Twitter which we're at AC Film Club, uh, we're on Instagram as well and you can follow our blog uh, which is asiancinemafilmclub.wordpress.com and Stephen, I believe you've got a new episode of Willow Ramblings out, is that correct? I have, so I have finally got round to it four months later, getting my uh, final episode of the Guelo Ramblings World Tour Season 1 out, um, where I, I can't remember what I talk about, but go and listen to it, and there will be a Season 2 this year. I'm just playing around with um, what I'm going to be doing and how I'm going to be doing it, because my other podcast the in the own league podcast is um uh taking up a bit more of my time to produce it and i'm having a real insight mate into how much effort you put in to edit this show and put this show together where uh, as well as be the host of it i only have to put their um podcast together <laughs> and it's um it's a lot of effort and a lot of hard work so i will use that as a way to both publicize that show and thank you for your hard work sir <laughs> thank you. <laughs> well, thank you for that. It's always nice. But uh, no, just watch a lot of wrestling. That's how you get through it. Yeah, that, that ain't going to happen. But something might. <laughs> the sport of kings, my friend. <laughs> but anyway, uh, thank you as always for listening, uh, good people. And uh, if you haven't done already, please do hit the like and subscribe buttons. Maybe leave us a review. It always raises the profile of the show. And uh, we will be back next time to talk about peppermint candy. So until next time, good night. Hey! 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 きのうのあの子は忘れて踊り続けていたい夜なのさ月が砕け散っても星が燃えて落ちても踊り続けていたい夜なのさ胸に刺さった恋の刃が
昨日の恋は忘れて昨日のあの子は忘れて踊り続けていたい夜なのさ」